Welcome to 2LO Rebooted, where we tell the stories of design and engineering. I'm Bill Thompson. In this show, we report from the 7th Annual Develop Conference, which took place at the end of April. Develop's a technology conference which brings in a mix of internal and external speakers to talk to the BBC's developer community, and it runs over two days, one in London and one in Salford. I asked Simon Stevenson, who's the technology training manager in the Academy and organiser of Develop, to tell me more. I'm here on the seventh floor of Broadcasting House, and if you can hear something in the background, that's because there's a presentation going on. And in fact, I can see on the screen pictures of a BBC microcomputer and some text from it. So this is, this is serious retro gaming stuff. And this is part of the Develop conference, and I'm here with Simon Stevenson. Simon, what is Develop? Develop is an annual BBC conference that the Academy runs for anybody in DE to come along to and enjoy, uh, hopefully, a blend of external talks and internal talks. And it's called Develop, is it for developers? So, traditionally, uh, as the name implies, this was a much more uh, developer focused conference with a focus on code and uh, programming. Over the years, and to reflect the changes in structure that DE have made, we've tried to broaden it out. So, it's more of a general technology conference now, but we kept the name. And it does seem to have a, a wide range of topics. We, we've got bias and risk in AI, we've got retro gaming. What are some of the highlights for you? Well, this year, the, we, we've deliberately tried to focus a little bit on AI and data because I think those are topics that are very uh, dear to DE's heart and things that a lot of people are thinking about. I'm particularly excited personally about a talk we have coming up in Salford uh, where an independent teacher and maker is bringing along a homemade RGB cube that she's designed and built herself. For me, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that sort of thing. So, so the, the maker culture, the idea of sort of building stuff in the real world appeals to you? Personally, yes. I spend a lot of time. I've got a 3D printer at home. I, I like doing projects that involve wood and metal and electronics and a little bit of coding. Um, so, yes, if I had my own way, developer would be full of that. But over the years, we've, we've reflected uh, an interest in the Internet of Things and, uh, yeah, that, that maker culture. So we try and bring a little bit of everything to it. And how do you go about putting this together? How do you pull people in? Is it, is it hard to get people to come to the BBC and speak to this sort of audience? We try and make it a mix of about as close to 50-50 as we can around internal BBC staff coming and presenting things that are either they're working on or things that they're just interested in and we also try and bring in external speakers so that we can get that proper conference feel. In terms of getting external speakers, generally most people are really keen to come and speak to the BBC and this year more than ever we're just inundated with BBC staff who want to speak and that's wonderful. We, we, we struggle to fit it all into two days. It's interesting you say you've been inundated with BBC staff, is that something you've noticed has changed over the years? I, definitely this year I think more than any other years we were full of speakers very shortly after me putting out my call to action so I, I don't know if that's a change in culture, people are more keen to speak or whether I, I like to think developing as a brand has got a bit more awareness, um, but yes, I've definitely noticed an, an increase. Well, we're going to be hearing from some of the BBC speakers, and all of the videos from the actual presentations are available on Gateway, aren't they? Yeah, we, we aim to get them up as soon as possible. There's, there's a lot of uh, footage we have to go through, but that's definitely our ambition to get as much up as possible. Okay, well, we're going to run through some of the highlights, um, but you want to see the whole talks, then that's where to go for them. Thank you very much. Simon Stevenson there. And the piece of kit that Simon mentioned was brought along by teacher Lorraine Underwood. I asked her to describe it. So I built um, a red, green, blue LED cube, uh, which is 8 by 8 by 8 in size. And each um, LED 
sits under a ping pong ball. So the ping pong balls diffuse the light and it's in a, in a cube shape. And so you can change the colours of each individually. Yep. It must be controlled in some way. Yeah, so you, um, it can actually controlled using any little microcontroller computer, but I've chosen uh, the BBC Microbit because I teach in a school and we have access to the microbits. So the kids know how to code the microbits. So from being able to code the microbits, they can then code the cube. But it can also be code using any kind of like programming language like Python or C. And what sort of things can you use it for? I mean, obviously, it's a work of art in its own right, but what, what are the use cases that you built it for? Oh, it's really just uh, your imagination. So it's a lot, I haven't figured out what I'm going to use it for. A lot of people have sent me ideas. So someone did say to me, what about Pac-Man? Because each light can be controlled individually and you can radio control two microbits. So one microbit you hold in your hand and the other sits in the cube and you play Pac-Man. So a little yellow light, you control that yellow light as it moves around the cube and other lights chase you as they are the ghosts. So that's just one idea that someone else came up with and I uh, implemented. Uh, I would like to play 3D Tetris, connect it to the internet, get like sensor data. So if it's raining, it'll look like it's raining on the cube. Um, so just, yeah, all kinds of ideas. Because once it's built now, it's just a matter of applying the children's imagination to the code. It's interesting you say the children's imagination. Have, have you had a chance to show it to any young people yet? Or is this still something you've only just debugged? Um, it's pretty fresh. <laughs> I brought it to Cambridge, um, an event called Pi Wars at the weekend, where they race robot cars non-destructively, so it's not like robot wars. Um, they just kind of do challenges. And there were um, some children there. And it was great, one of the, one of the um, men who runs a code club, he brought his son and his daughter, and his son loved the duck shoot challenge where they have to shoot down ducks. And his daughter said her best part of the weekend was seeing my cube. So I was like, oh, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Mission accomplished. So yeah, I haven't really... It's going to make a fair tomorrow in Newcastle, and that's like thousands of people will see it tomorrow. So I haven't really shown it to the public properly yet. Well, we're very privileged to get, to get that sneak preview. What do you think the BBC development community can learn from what you've achieved? I suppose just to go beyond what you normally think of. When you think of coding, people think of robots, and they don't think of lights. So that's why I was trying to get this bit of computing that you don't think turning on and off a light is exciting, but actually it is, and I've built something that is exciting, even though it's only lights. So it's kind of go beyond your imagination and, and think about what you could do outside of your normal cube. One of the areas that we think about a lot in D&E is how we can use technology to deliver the BBC's public purposes. So it's good to hear from the organisation Tech for Good. Rebecca Ray Evans, who works for the Federation in Manchester and runs Tech for Good live events, spoke to Laura Telfinger, our reporter, and Laura asked her why she thought tech ethics matter to the BBC. I was talking about tech ethics and how to implement that on, on actual projects. Okay. Why do you think this is of particular importance to the BBC, maybe more than anyone Or is it more important more than anyone else? I guess it's important to the BBC. Tech ethics is important to the BBC because it's a public service. So obviously we're talking to a large part of, the, of society and, and we have to make sure we're accessible, make sure we're reaching everybody um, because, because it's a public service and because it's publicly funded. The BBC is great at this because they put some of their money towards making sure that they are reaching a large portion of society, like they, like they should be, and that not a lot of people are, so it's really great that the BBC is doing that. So they recently launched a brand new brand and font, oh, it was a new font, Read and the font. font, yeah, the font is accessible, the font, font itself, they put a lot of work into making sure that was accessible, so even down to those levels, they've really thought about how they're going to be accessible, what, what kind of people that they're going to affect by 
by launching these new products. Yeah, they are talking about a lot of these Alexa skills that they're currently working on. And it doesn't sound like they've done a lot of work on that yet, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but if they could really push that forward, not a lot of people are really thinking about the ethics of, of voice. So it'd be great to see something coming out of the BBC. Maybe they're already working on it and I don't know, but I'd love to see that. My husband actually works in this industry as well. I always feel it, it's weird saying my husband did this. It's not just my husband. He, he, he's head of product innovation for Big Lottery, but we used to work together on ethical digital products. And something he's been championing at the minute is something called the Red Team Exercise, which you can read about on our blog at wearereply.com um, on how to implement it. But it's come from kind of the journalism sector. So what the jur- journalists will do, because they need to be responsible for ethics on when they put a big story out, maybe it is about a war that's happening or whatever that's happening this is a really big thing that they need to consider so what they'll do is they'll have a team working on it for months making sure they've got all the sources and that they're right and it's correct but then they'll bring in a red team so this is a team that has never had any involvement whatsoever with the project they will showcase the project to the red team and the red team's job is to pick it apart and say worst case scenario here's a crisis that could happen if you haven't considered have you got three definite sources do you know this is right what if it isn't right and they will spend a day in a room just hashing that out and making sure that they've thought about the ethical implications of that story so i think we can take some cues from that within the tech sector on projects that we're putting out and really look at what could go wrong right at the beginning rebecca ray evans there and thanks to laura talfinger for that interview this is the dne download on 2lo rebooted coming to you from the bbc develop conference now let's hear from mike evans a user experience research lead in r&d and he's working on how the BBC can use AI in production, as he told Laura. So uh, today I was talking about our artificial intelligence in production project, which is a, a, a relatively new, relatively small project in the future experiences technology team of R&D. So FXT thinks about how new, new types of content will be made, how new types of content will be used by our audiences. And the AIP project, the artificial intelligence in production project, has begun to look at how data-driven automation through machine intelligence, visual computing, and uh, potentially machine learning can be applied to automate or semi-automate the production of content for, for things that we simply don't have the capacity to cover normally. You know, there's um, over 50,000 performances at the Edinburgh Fringe last year, and it would be great to have more than just a tiny, tiny amount of those uh, you know, available for people at home. So can you just describe a bit more about what would the AI be doing with all this hours and hours of yeah. content? So, so I think artificial intelligence has enormous uh, capacity to uh, kind of disrupt all sorts of in- industries in a creative way and, and certainly uh, all sorts of aspects of the of kind of the production process uh, could be applied to. But no, what I talked about today was a very, very specific use case and what we're concentrating on in the project is this very specific use case of live shows at yeah, kind of festival events, which by and large can only reach the audience who are physically present uh, because the the, the broadcasting sector's capacity to park OB trucks out, get the skilled directors, the skilled vision mixers and camera operators out to to, to capture that is is not just limited, it's severely limited in in comparison to the opportunities there. So what I demonstrated today was uh, kind of the early results of work of putting uh, unmanned cameras in like niche venues that wouldn't have uh, necessarily have a, a, a real outside broadcast and yes seeing if we can getting the system to make decisions on three things how to frame a shot how to uh, choose a shot at a given moment and then how to construct a sequence of those shots for that live event 
what I was talking about today is absolutely about expanding capacity, potentially getting radically more uh, video available to audiences from these events, which have just, you know, potentially have such more interesting stuff. There's lots of projects going on in the BBC at the moment about, uh, you know, expanding coverage from, uh, you know, things like relatively, uh, relatively low-profile sports and, and things like that, and that could have enormous benefit for the audience and potentially for the, the business as well as the, you know, if we're, if we're chasing these very expensive rights associated with this kind of um, a, a very small set of events, and you know, if we just raise our heads as an organisation or as an industry, we can just see that if we can, if we can find ways to capture this stuff at, in, in reasonable quality at low cost, uh, then all sorts of things become available for us to uh, deliver to audiences that weren't available before. Thanks, Mike. Now, one of the best-received presentations came from the BBC Voice team, and Laura Talfinger caught up with Ross, Garth and Chris afterwards. Hello, my name is Ross McFadden. I'm a software engineer on the Voice team. I am Garth Connell. I'm a junior engineer on the Voice team. Hello, I'm Chris Owen. I'm a test lead in the Voice team. Okay, so uh, do you guys want to tell me what it is you're uh, here talking about today at Develop? Yeah, uh, Ross here. We were talking about, uh, we're quite a new team, so we were talking about um, the birth of the project, kind of the BBC's first voyage into a voice interface. Um, and we built up quite a lot of steam and, and investment over the last year. Um, it's, it's the birth of a brand new platform. So we have TV, radio, online, and there hasn't been a new platform um, at the BBC for a long time until now. So we're exploring what we can do with that and where voice can go. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of, this is Chris speaking, there's a, quite a lot of unknowns around this. We're learning as we go and we're finding that there are some resources online, but actually some things that we just don't know and we have to investigate and try things out ourselves. So there's a lot of kind of experimentation and prototyping. That makes it quite an exciting area to work in. Mm. Yeah, something that I find really kind of interesting that there's so many different ways we could go with this. Uh, and we're kind of just almost scratching the surface a little bit at the minute. And there are loads of plans that want to kind of come in and kind of, Lots of people kind of want to come in and work with us and the minute we're just kind of having to still really kind of get our feet on the ground under the table and kind of get it kind of how we understand how we want to use this platform. Okay. Why is this important to the BBC specifically to be working on this kind of technology? That's Garth here. I think Ross kind of said this before, but, you know, the BBC has always been at the forefront of media and technology and this is a brand new platform and it's like... BBC should be there at the front and we should be pushing these new boundaries. In someone's talk earlier on, uh, they mentioned that um, in the next few years, 50% of all internet searches will be through voice and it's going to become extremely, it's going to be ubiquitous and people are going to feel it's a very natural thing to do, so it's like the right time to get into it, really. So you guys demonstrated a really cool thing that you guys had done for BBC, for kids, for children's, um, involving with Justin. Was it Justin, Justin? Yeah. Yeah. So um, what's, what projects are you thinking is coming up next for you guys? Food is probably the next thing, because that's been kind of circling around a little bit for a while. How, how do we kind of present food recipes through uh, an Alexa device? That seems to be a popular thing that people want in the kitchens. Mm to be able to listen to recipes, maybe go back a little bit and ask it things like, how long was I supposed to leave that in the oven for? What, what's the next ingredient? Where am I up to in the recipe? All that kind of stuff. Hopefully, in the near future, we can do something like that. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's some of the voice team there. Ross McFadgen, Garth Connell and Chris Owen. And let's finish on a positive note, because the keynote speaker in Salford was thoroughly optimistic. Naomi Clymer is a past president of the Institute for Engineering Technology and I asked her why she looked on the bright side of digital life. So I'm seriously optimistic about the future because I think 
the kind of technologies like the Internet of Things, artificial intelligence and big data should allow us to work on some really big world challenges, things like climate change and world peace, if you want to go that far, but also to help us at a micro level to improve our lives, like helping partially sighted people to find their way around, things that really affect our day-to-day -day lives. And so the possibility for that is huge. So although there's a few things to worry about, I just think there's more reasons to be optimistic than not. And you seem to see that, that, that small-scale improvements and the large scales going hand-in-hand, hand, not actually being disconnected, but reinforcing one another. I think that's right. I think this whole thing is very holistic. Everything's connected these days. And that's why I also think that the techies need to be talking to sociologists and people from humanities and psychologists and lawyers and economists so that we're taking a holistic view of everything. But yes, I think big world challenges and helping my mum to live independently, they're all connected. So what's the one thing that somebody who's working as a developer at the BBC should take from your talk? I'd like everyone, especially people working as developers, to be thinking about the bigger issues, not just the tech, thinking about how it's going to affect society, what difference it could make in the world, but also making sure that they're talking to wider groups of people, not just their fellow techs, about what they're doing, because they'll get new ideas that way. That's Naomi Clymer. And that's it from Develop 2018 for the moment. You can see the full programme on Gateway, and I thoroughly recommend it even if you don't see yourself as part of the BBC's developer community. They've assembled a wide-ranging and stimulating selection of speakers. In the next show from 2LO Rebooted, we'll have a selection of the lightning talks that finished off each day, so don't forget to subscribe. And if you have a story for us, or would like to talk about your work in d and do get in touch.